Now, Birdsong, fun and fascinating talk about the top stories in today's headlines. Birdsong may just be the most qualified talk show host in the business, thanks to his many careers in law, government, and education. Here's your host, Leonard Birdsong. Hey folks, this is Birdsong back with you. Got a great show today. Glad you're out there listening. Of course, I am Birdsong, and the show is Birdsong. I'm here to entertain and inform you. On today's show, we have a guest who might help you save on your taxes. I'm going to tell you the real story about chain migration, a term that's in the news. I will have some dumb criminal law stories, as usual. And we're going to have a story about Paul Harvey, or by Paul Harvey, that I think you'll find interesting. But let's start with our guest who says uh, one tax mistake could cost you thousands. As you know, there's been some tax reform. A budget deal was worked out last year with Congress signed by the president with retroactive tax breaks, deductions added, and deductions repealed. It's somewhat complicated, so I've invited Martha O'Gorman of Liberty Tax to come on and tell you about things that might help you to avoid overpaying. Now, Miss O'Gorman is with a group called uh, Liberty Tax. As a matter of fact, she is the chief marketing officer of the company. That company has more than 4,000 locations in the United States and Canada. Hello, Miss O'Gorman. How are you? Good morning, Birdsong. I'm doing great, and thanks for that wonderful introduction. <laughs> Sounds like you could have written it yourself, huh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. Well, anyway, we are happy to have you on. I am Birdsong. This is Birdsong Show. We talk about things that will help inform the public and sometimes even have a little humor. So now I, believe it or not, my father worked in the post office much of his life. He rose through the ranks, but he... Uh, also had a little tax accounting business. So as I, when I was growing up, between January and April, I always heard a lot about taxes, and I even did well in the tax course in law school. But lately, I have not been keeping up with the taxes and the changes that have come about. Why don't you start where most of us need to know about our taxes? I, this is, you know, we're coming into to March. I usually do my taxes in March. Now, don't wait for April 15th. What can you tell us, Ms. O'Gorman? Well, first of all, that's very good that you don't wait till the end of the tax season. Uh, number one, because of the stress that it causes. But number two, the tax preparers get busy and may not have as much time to spend looking at your entire situation. And, you know, taxes should really be a year-round concern to everybody, Birdsong. I mean, people just tend to throw all their receipts in a box and, and don't look <laughs> at them until, you know, a paper bag. You know, we get people coming in with shoe boxes. You know, you, you never know. Um, yeah, my, fa- so, my father always used to tell me about that for little businesses he worked for. I put mine in a brown folder, okay? I don't put them mm-hmm. in a shoe box. <laughs> yeah, me too. I have a I have a drawer, but it's very well organized. So, um I, I, that's one of the, the, the keys to, to making sure that you get the most from your tax filing is to be organized. And, and I tell people that all the time. And sometimes people listen and sometimes they don't. But the key to the whole thing is to know where you stand. For instance, 
you may be an Uber driver these days, or you may be um, doing something in what is now known as the gig economy. And yep, I've heard that, of that. It's self-employment, right? And so you Not have right. to understand what kind of a tax return are you going to file for that. And some people mistakenly pick the wrong um, entity. So, for instance, there's a... Uh, corporation, and then there's an S corporation, and, and a C, uh, Schedule C, and um, it, there's, there's tax implications with, with every single one of those. And so you need to make sure that you're picking the right um, platform so that you're not paying um, more um, self-employment tax, things like that. So you need to be um, on top of that and making sure that you understand you know, the difference between an, a partnership and a sole proprietorship. That's that's a very, very important thing. And more and more people are becoming self-employed, whether they have a full-time job or they, they're just 100% self-employed. So these these things are, are becoming more and more relevant um, to, to everybody. I believe that the last I heard was that there's about 34% of the um of the economy is driven by these side gigs um so you know with airbnb and uber and and all of these other um types of income producing businesses um individuals need to be very very uh, aware and on top of what that means for their tax situation well i understand just what you're saying and uh, i think that's good advice but what about this whole thing about standard deductions? I guess this new tax law, like I say, I don't know that much about it because I don't study taxes anymore, don't have to work on anyone's taxes. They've done away, the government has done away with some deductions people used to have, and some states are up in arms about this because people could deduct their state income tax and their city income tax and some property tax. How has that changed? Can you tell us? Well, it has changed significantly. And and for most people, you know, most people file a 1040 with no uh, Schedule A, which is the itemized deduction schedule. Right. Anyway, but there are certainly a lot of people that that still are itemizing their deductions, and the new tax law is basically going to do away with that for most people. For instance, if you're single, your your uh, standard deduction I think went up to twenty four thousand dollars. There's not a lot of other things that you can deduct: mortgage, interest, all of those kinds of things. That is going to add up to twenty four thousand dollars as an individual. Um, so it's going to make the process of filing a tax return, a federal return, easier. Um, the the state returns will still remain the same. Um, it's just that you know instead of uh, claiming your state. Your, how much you paid in state taxes or personal property and some of the other line items on the Schedule A, that won't be necessary anymore. So it, it will keep people from, from having to, um, you know, keep records of all that stuff. I'm not saying don't keep your records, but um, it'll be a lot easier for the standard deduction to be, to be utilized and not have to worry about all of the, the different line items that are, that are on a Schedule A. And there's a lot of people that are going to come out ahead on that. Well, I was wondering about that. Is the government going to come out ahead on this? They're going to make more money, but people will be paying more in taxes. Is that it? I don't, I don't think necessarily. 
and you know obviously everybody's situation is different so um there there may be some people and there will be some people who will end up paying more but i think that as a general rule across the board that the bottom 80% of the people who pay income taxes will either make money or come out about the same hmm now is this the tax credit they talk about uh you told me that there's a tax credit up to about $6,300, and millions of people fail to claim that. That's right. It's the earned income tax credit, and it the maximum is, is up around $6,000. A lot of people don't claim it because they don't know that they're eligible. And, what is it? Um, what is it? I, I, the, so it's a, it's, um, it's a um, tax credit that is refundable so it's different than a deduction and it and it can result in a refund for the taxpayer even if tax taxes aren't owed or there were no withholdings and so basically it was it was um created as a way to help the working poor get more money now in the beginning it was it was uh, the the premise was is that you would you would get this all year long you would get this refundable credit all year long in your paycheck so that you had more money to to use uh, aha people, that's that's what it is okay right, now i but, see but people don't people don't do that pretty much anymore birdsong what they do is they wait till they file their tax return and they go in and claim you know the number of children they have how much money they made um and the things that kind of determine how much you're going to get back and they get this whopping amount of money probably more money than and than they amass at, at any other time during the year so hmm. it could be $2000 it could be $5000 and this comes in the form of a credit so that their refund when they get their refund the credit is realized in the refund that sounds real good that sounds really good mhm now and this is something people, you will tell your people who you do taxes for most people may not know about this um what about these people who use TurboTax and some of those other kinds of uh, things from the computer. I don't use that myself, but uh, can they get you know, this earned credit from that? Ab- yeah, absolutely. And most computerized tax programs these days are sophisticated. And so when you put in your personal information, it will automatically tell you if you qualify or not. So mm-hmm. it's something that... You- but the problem is, is that there's about 20% of the of the public who qualify for it that don't take it, and the reasons for that are maybe their life uh, has changed, maybe there's been, you know, some kind of a a difference in their income that has significantly impacted their income, and they don't understand that they are now qualified for the earned income credit. So most tax preparers and most uh, computerized programs are going to catch that. And so, you know, it's not it's not a, as big a deal as it used to be with people not not um, getting what they were entitled to, but still, about twenty percent of the people who qualify are missing it. Mm, isn't that something? Mm-hmm. Now, let me. Um, this this sounds like good advice. Let me ask a little bit more about you. I understand that you worked for Jackson Hewitt Tax Service before you uh, left to help start uh, Liberty uh, Liberty Tax. Uh, uh, company. That's correct. You know, I have spent more than half my life 
in the tax industry and in the franchising industry, which is another aspect of our business. And um, I will tell you that I find this to be one of the most fascinating industries um, in in the world, only because there's change every year. Um, you know, you get new franchisees who are opening new offices all across the country. So you get to pe- meet people from all over the United States. And you also get to help people. You know, you yeah. get to help people um, realize, you know, every deduction and every dime that they're entitled to out of their tax refund. And that, that when you see the look on somebody's face when they get a refund that maybe they weren't expecting it to be so much, the look on their face and the and the glee is right. it's priceless. You can't replace it's- it. It's called found money. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, you um you you actually used to do tax returns yourself? I have done tax returns. That is not my my uh, goal in life because uh obviously <laughs> I'm a I'm a marketing person and I I like uh colors and and um headlines and things of that nature, but I think everybody should know how to at least understand their tax return. You know, a lot of people don't have any idea what it means. Um for instance, if you're self-employed and you don't know that you have to pay all of your social security when you're self-employed and you could come out um when you get your taxes done owing a big number because you haven't paid enough in. And um I that's that's one that catches people off guard a lot. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you should understand that, especially if you're going to start a small business, you should understand the tax implications of everything that you're doing because you don't want to ruin your success by having a big tax bill at the end of the year. So, I have a couple of friends who are retired and they're driving for Uber now. They don't want to sit at home. And, you know, some of them make a little bit of money every month. Uh, is this considered a small business, uh, Mr. Gorman? Well, it is, but the the rules for retirees are a little bit different. And, and again, it's hard to just give a blanket explanation for that because there you can make up to a certain amount of money, depending on your age, um, for, you know, other income. But um, I, I agree with you. I think that Uber drivers are making some money. I just was with a, uh, and an Uber in Phoenix, Arizona, not too long ago, and the guy's been retired for 20 years, and he's mm-hmm. doing this because, number one, he wanted something to do, but he's he's starting to make some significant money. So that's kind of how the, the conversation started, because he was asking me tax questions about that. But um, everybody is different. It depends on how much, you know, how much your Social Security is, what your age is, and things like that. So anybody that asks about that or really any situation where it's specific to them, I recommend that they see a tax professional to help them unwind it. You can find a lot of information online, but, but it's, it's always more reassuring if you have somebody that you're sitting across the desk from who is telling you this is what you need to do in order to make the, maximize your, your, your tax um, situation. All right. Well, this sounds good. Can you tell our listeners where they may get in touch with you, Ms. O'Gorman? Well, sure. Or your, um, or your I, company? Yeah, I would recommend if you if you want more information on anything that we spoke about today or anything tax-related, to go to our website, which is www.libertytax, 
com, and we have white papers, we have ebooks, we have a blog that covers just about any tax topic you might be interested in. And then further, if you want to go visit one of our professionals, we have an office locator. You put in your zip code, and it takes you to the offices that are closest to you. So very convenient, and um, it's a it's a fascinating business, Birdsong. I know that it is. I've actually done some taxes in my time. When I first got out of law school, I was with a law firm, and we were expected to do the taxes of some of our clients and things like that. I haven't. That's years ago. But like I said, I haven't kept up with the, the, the latest changes. But, Ms. O'Gorman, thank you so much for coming on. I think this is helpful to our listeners. Uh, let's make sure that they file their taxes before February 15th. April 15th, not February, okay. April yeah, 15th. Yeah, the date. The date again. I think this year again is is the 18th because of a, a, um, a crazy uh, holiday in Washington yeah, yeah, D.C. Yeah, yeah, or or Boston <laughs> or something like that. Thank you for for helping me call that. But all right, well, it's so great to have you on. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Thank but, you, Birdsong. Okay. Thank you. All right. That's uh, Martha O'Gorman of Liberty Tax. This is Birdsong. Stick with me. Stick with me, folks, because there's more to come. We're going to be talking about chain migration. This is Birdsong back with you, folks, here having a great show. We just finished talking with a tax expert, Martha O'Gorman, who gave some tips about filing your taxes this year, file them before April 15th. No, really April 18th this year. You get a few days extra. But I want to talk now about a term that's been in the news. Some of you have heard it. You may have read about it in the paper. It's called chain migration. Chain migration. And it is being used these days in a way that distorts what it means. Chain migration, but the way people in the today's administration are talking about it, is a way of getting away from legal immigration. In other words, our immigration scheme that was started in 1952, the Immigration and Nationality Act, um was based on what was called and what is still called family reunification. As a result, in 1965, when they had an amendment to the law, the Congress came up with a set of preferences that allowed people who were American citizens and a few people who were green card holders, that is legal permanent residents, to bring their relatives from other countries. Now, this system now has worked for 50 years. I've worked in it. I was a State Department officer overseas where I issued immigration visas and non-immigration visas. I was in private practice where I did immigration work. And I've been a law professor who teaches about immigration. I do not think that we need to curtail legal immigration to the United States. But chain migration is a term that some people in the current administration are using. It is a pejorative term. Chain migration makes it sound like we should not let people who are American citizens sponsor 
their relatives to come to the United States if they're qualified. Now, just because you have a relative and you're an American citizen, they don't get to migrate just because your their family is in the United States. They have to be qualified. That is, they have to pass health tests, make sure they have no criminal background, uh, have not been in prison, and make sure they will not go on welfare. However, the concept of chain migration goes back to the 17th century, folks. And before I get into this anymore, let me just tell you, there are three words that are not in the Constitution of the United States. The word immigration is nowhere found in the uh, Constitution of the United States. The word slave and the word slavery are nowhere in the Constitution of the United States. However, the term chain migration started in the 17th century. This is when, at least far as North America is concerned, the first slaves were brought in chains to North America to the Virginia colony. 27 slaves were brought by Dutch traders to the colony of Virginia in chain. Chains. This was chain migration. Slavery went on from there and grew a lot bigger in the United States by bringing Africans in chains across the Atlantic Ocean to the colonies and then to the states. Now, like I said, there's nothing in the Constitution that says anything about the word immigration or the word slave or the word slavery. But let me tell you that what we have in the Constitution that people should know when we talk about chain migration, Article 1, Section 9 of the Constitution of the United States, I'm looking at it right now, is called the Migration Clause. This was written in 1788. The migration or importation of such persons as any of the states now existing shall think proper to admit shall not be prohibited by the Congress prior to the year of 1808. But a tax or duty may be imposed on such importation, not exceeding $10 for each person. They are talking about bringing slaves to the United States in chains. This was the original chain migration. And the migration clause is talking about slavery and saying that states can bring in slaves or import slaves up until 1808. Now, we know by historians that uh, there was still slaves brought to the United States up until the 1840s. But chain migration is an awful term. Thousands of Africans were brought to the United States in chains. They worked in servitude until after the end of the Civil War. But again, we have people nowadays talking about chain migration and that it should be changed. Well, we're not bringing people in chains anymore. We have a legal system of migration. I'll just tell you a little bit. If you are a United States citizen, you have a right to bring in 
your immediate relatives without waiting, without being uh, part of a quota. Immediate relatives are your children, your spouses, and your parents. If they, if you're over 21, you can bring your parents, but you can bring your children, your spouse, and your your uh, parents if you are over 21. Now, if you are not going to bring, if you're not an immediate relative. An American citizen can bring in their unmarried sons and daughters, and United States citizens can bring in their married sons and married daughters, and they can petition for their brothers and sisters to come into the United States. Those are the preferences. If you are a legal permanent resident, that means you have a green card, you may sponsor your spouse and or your unmarried sons and unmarried daughters to come to the United States to become permanent residents. Now, those are the people who can come in. The system has not been abused. There are a lot of people who sneak into the United States, and these are undocumented. The administration wants to get rid of them. The last administration with Obama got a lot of people out who they were deported. But again, this whole notion of chain migration has been turned on its head from what started in the 17th century. It is a concept that sounds bad, and the people want it to sound bad. There is nothing wrong with our system of legal migration. I've worked in the system, and I've worked with hundreds of people who are in the system. So when you hear chain migration... Don't think of it as a bad thing. It has been a good thing that has worked for 50 years. We need immigrants to come to our country to keep our country viable. This is Birdsong. Remember these words. Chain migration is something that we don't want and we don't have. Chain migration was bringing black Africans in chains to what is now the United States. I'll be back to talk to you more. This is Birdsong. Well, I'm back with you, folks. This is Birdsong. I'm glad you're still out there listening. We uh, have been giving you some information today. First, Martha O'Gorman came on to talk about filing your taxes and some of the changes. I just finished talking about chain migration. I hope you all now understand what it's about. But now I'm going to read some dumb criminal law stories. You know, I love collecting these stories. This is part of my hobby. I collect uh, these stories. When I was teaching, I did uh, a blog for my students, and I put these stories on, and they love them. The stories are all true. Let's start today with some stories out of Florida. The first one, the headline, Pistol Packing Padre. That's alliteration for you. Pistol Packing Padre. A priest driving a red Corvette pulled a gun on a truck driver who tried to pass him on the highway in Martin County, Florida. We learned that William Adams, an Episcopalian priest from North Carolina, allegedly pulled in front of the truck slammed on his brakes, and pointed the weapon at the driver. Police arrested the pistol-packing padre later that day 
in West Palm Beach, Florida. <laughs> I like that alliteration, pistol-packing padre. <laughs> All right, another one from Florida. Kaboom, says the headline. We learned that an Orlando, Florida couple were lucky to survive after their Kia Sorento exploded last week. This was actually back in the summer. Police said uh, the two were transporting a gas barbecue grill that was turned on and still connected to the propane tank. When the wife lit a cigarette, the car exploded. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but these are so stupid. The couple sustained mild but not life-threatening injuries. Kaboom. <laughs> All right, we go from kaboom to bang. Another story from Florida, headline, Bang. It's been reported that a man trying to take a selfie in a strip club restroom took a wrong shot, firing his gun by accident. The bullet went through the wall of Club Lust in St. Petersburg and ended up in the women's restroom. Now, no one was hurt but Ron Sorn, who's 34. He's a convicted felon, and he was sentenced to six years and five months in prison for violation of of his probation by carrying and discharging a firearm. If you're a convicted felon, you're not supposed to have a firearm, and you certainly shouldn't fire it. Bang. I will also say that I have been to St. Petersburg, but I've never been to Club Lust. <laughs> All right, sticking with Florida. Headline, you scream, they scream. We all scream for ice cream. A drive through customer became enraged when he was told the ice cream machine was out of order at a McDonald's in Delray Beach, Florida. The customer became so enraged he pulled out a replica AR-15 assault rifle and aimed it at the window clerk who had delivered the bad news. Now, fortunately, another employee watching surveillance video Call 911 and police promptly arrived and arrested the customer and his passenger for assault. Isn't that something? A replica of an AR-15 assault rifle because the ice cream machine in the McDonald's was out of order. <laughs> all right, let's go to Louisiana. These are all true stories. These are mainly some stories from the summer, this past summer. Headline on this story, he was a serial offender. A man speeding down an interstate highway was arrested after deputies allegedly found two pounds of marijuana in cereal boxes. Donald Roots Scott, 23, of Sacramento, California, was charged with possession with intent to distribute marijuana and speeding. Deputies pulled Root Scott over for traveling at nearly 90 miles per hour on Interstate 12 in early August of last year. Police report that they found marijuana hidden inside Honey Nut Cheerios and Captain Crunch Crunchberry cereal boxes. <laughs> he was a serial offender. <laughs> All right, sticking with Louisiana. Headline. Steamroller robbery. 
Travis Campbell, 33, boosted a cat steamroller from a closed construction site in New Orleans and motored it away at the top speed of eight miles per hour. When police officers caught up with him, Campbell claimed to be a worker at the site. However, the construction company maintained that Campbell had not returned his keys when he was fired several months ago. We wonder whether there's a black market for stolen steamrollers. <laughs> what do you think, folks? <laughs> All right, a few more here. Ohio. Will the charges be dropped, asked the headline. It appears that a juror may have swiped oxycodone pills during a drug trial in July. Attorney John Moore believes jurors in Columbus, Ohio, found his client guilty, allowing for one of them without anyone noticing to flee the courthouse with 71 opioid pills that had been offered into evidence, but not properly secured by the courtroom clerk. Moore is seeking a new trial or for the changes to be dismissed. My God, jurors stealing dope? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. Let's see. That was Ohio. Let's go to Pennsylvania. The headline, Salad Silliness. Salad Silliness. A man raved that there was not enough cucumber on his Wendy's salad. He then threw the salad at an employee and made a threat, police said. Theodore Gunderson, 58, was arrested at the Wendy's restaurant in New Holland, Pennsylvania, the first Sunday of August, after he allegedly cursed, threw the salad at the employee, and said, quote, if I had a gun or a knife, you would be the first to go, end quote. Salad silliness. <laughs> All right, next one and last one for today also comes from Pennsylvania. Now listen to this headline. It says, Daryl, you're in trouble now. Daryl, you're in trouble now. We learn that a 21-year-old man was caught trying to use his friend's clean urine for a court-ordered urine test. Daryl Coger allegedly filled a condom with clean urine, but probation officers heard an odd popping noise when he broke open the condom. Coger was then arrested with furnishing drug-free urine and possessing an instrument of crime. What? The scissors used to open the condom. Daryl, you're in trouble now. <laughs> This is Birdsong. I love these headlines. <laughs> You're listening to Birdsong. There's more to come. Stick with us. Hey, Birdsong back with you. We're having a great show. I'm having a lot of fun. I hope you are. We are going to hear a story from Paul Harvey. I love Paul Harvey. He was a great broadcaster. He passed away in 2009. But he still has some stories that he's left us. But first, let me give you the riddles for the week. We'll come back with the answers at the end of the show. But listen to these. See if you can figure them out. Question, what is the longest word in the dictionary? What is the longest word in the dictionary? Think about it. Second one. This was easy. 
What has 18 legs and catches flies? What has 18 legs and catches flies? Now, the last one. A silly guy sold his roof for free. Why did this silly guy sell the roof on his house for free? Those are the three riddles for today. Let's see if you can figure the answers. And while you're thinking about that, I want you to listen to a story that Paul Harvey's son actually wrote for him, but that he read on the air that I want to read for you because I think it's fun and some of you may figure out who it is. His stories are called The Rest of the Story. This one's entitled The Mouse That Roared. Steve Morris was not a typical child, but when you're nine years old, the desire to be typical is very strong. Steve was born in Saginaw, Michigan. When he was very young, his folks moved to Detroit to a little apartment on Hastings Street. Of all the people and things Steve has since forgotten and remembered from those early years, one woman stands out in his mind. One woman encouraged him and gave him the courage to be extraordinary. It was Steve's elementary school teacher, Mrs. Benaducci. Of course, Mrs. Benaducci was a wise woman. She realized that mere words to a nine-year-old might not carry much weight. With the unwitting aid of a little gray mouse, she seized instead upon a particular opportunity. And from that day on, Steve knew his greatest pride, the calling of a life. It happened in a tiny grade school classroom in Detroit. This is the rest of the story. Mrs. Benaducci called her class to order. Come now, Jesse, Annette, settle down. People were going to open with history today. Now the little ones squirmed in their seats, suppressing the nervous giggles of infant inmates wishing to be sprung. I know you'd rather be outside playing, said Mrs. Benaducci. It's a lovely day. But if you learn nothing in life, all you'll ever know how to do is to play. The teacher gave a sympathetic half-smile and then went on. Young Steve, young Steve Morris, was quiet. Amy asked Miss Benaducci, who was Abraham Lincoln? Amy stared at her desk. Um, uh, he had a beard. The class collapsed with laughter. Steve Morris said the teacher, same question. He was the 16th president of the United States, came the answer solidly, without hesitation. The class was silent once more. Steve's problem was not the answers. He had them all. In fact, little Steve Morris also had a rather remarkable gift. But answers to questions would mean nothing in themselves unless Steve could be made to realize just how important that gift really was. All right, Miss Benaducci continued. Abraham Lincoln was our 16th president. He was president during the Civil War. Then she stopped as though she were listening to something. What's that? she asked. Who's making that noise? The puzzled classmates looked at each other. Steve sat quietly. I hear something like scratching. It's very faint, said Mrs. Benaducci. It sounds, it sounds like a mouse.
The little girls screamed. Some stood on their chairs with the speed of ascending light. Calm down, everyone, said the teacher. It's nothing to get excited about. Steve, will you help me find the poor little creature? Steve sat straight upright in his chair, brightened considerably. Okay, he said. Now everybody be quiet. In the sudden stillness, Steve cocked his head, hesitated for a moment, and pointed slowly to the wastebasket. He's right over there, said Steve proudly. I can hear him. And so he was, a frightened little gray mouse that had been rummaging beneath the waste paper, hoping to go undiscovered. But he had been discovered by little Steve Morse, whom nature had given a remarkable pair of ears in compensation for having denied him eyes since birth. So the class settled back to business, and the little gray mouse became a mascot. In the heart of the small, unsighted Steve, a pride was born, and that pride is with him still. After the incident, Mrs. Beneducci would continue to encourage the talent that the whole world now knows and respects. And she always reminded Steve of the little gray mouse that once made its home in a wastebasket by accident. In time, the marvelous ears of Steve Morris gave popular music something to be proud of. A singer, composer, musician, musician rather, producer with five Grams, five Grammys rather, in 1975. 17 gold singles, four gold albums, and four platinum records. For once upon a time, a little gray mouse roared, gave a small boy confidence in what nature had given him. And Steve Morris, from that time on, from the time he was ten, for his gifted ears, was never known as anything but Little Stevie Wonder. Now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> Hope you like that, folks. All right. Are you ready for the answers on the riddles? Have you figured them out? The first one. What's the longest word in the dictionary, folks? It's the word smiles. S-M-I-L-E-S. That's the longest word in the dictionary because there's a mile between each S. <laughs> Next riddle, what has 18 legs and catches flies? Thought about it? Come up with the answer, what has 18 legs and catches flies? Well, it's a baseball team. You should know that. <laughs> the dumb guy sold his roof for free. Why? The dumb guy sold his roof for free. Why? Well, the answer was, it was on the house. <laughs> Bet you didn't get that one, did you? <laughs> this is Birdsong. It's been great being with you here today. There will be more to come from Birdsong. Stick with me. Thanks for listening today, folks. <laughs> <laughs>